1: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
2: This is WHBC AM Canton. News Talk 1480 WHBC.
3: The trial begins today for a local woman accused of killing her husband on New Year's Eve. It had happened so fast and he
4: had put his hand over my my nose and my mouth and I couldn't breathe. And he's shoving me. He's like, go to the bedroom. bitch, go to the bedroom. And I'm going, I'm like, I'm like, okay, 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 I'm going, I'm going.
5: My name is Scott Roeder. I'm an evidence specialist. I received a phone call, The domestic homicide case. A woman who's being accused of murder.
4: And I'm like, I'm gonna call the cops. And he grabbed me and he shook me like this. And he took my phone and he goes, you wanna, I'll give you a reason to call the cops, you dumb bitch, I'll give you a reason. And he walks out, he left, he left the room and he went down the hallway screaming it over and over again.
5: Everybody was really interested in this trial because it was this small town with this beautiful young lady who's being accused of this horrible crime.
4: I walked down into the hallway and I had the gun at my side. He said, where do you think you're going? And I said, "I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going. And he started to walk towards me and I raised the gun.
5: We've got a dead man, and we've got a woman whose life is hanging in the balance. She's the only eyewitness to this situation.
4: And then it was over. It was so quick. And he was on the ground, and, and I was still holding the weapon out, and I was still pulling the trigger.
5: Some people were immediately making a judgment for, this is a battered woman. My daughter is innocent. She's innocent of murder. And then some other people were immediately making a judgment, cold, blooded killer. How could she even do that? I think she's a monster. People want to rush to an opinion. They want to rush to the story before the evidence even has been analyzed. I stick to the physical and the forensic evidence.
6: What was your purpose in firing that first shot?
4: To to stop Rob. I thought my life was in danger. I was just trying to stop him. I was defending myself.
7: Evidence. In a criminal court of law, it can send a defendant to prison for life or prove their innocence beyond a reasonable doubt. Tonight on a special 48 hours, we'll go behind the closed doors of legal strategy sessions and cutting edge evidence analysis to show just what it takes to convince a jury that you have the most compelling evidence of all.
5: Sometimes I'll work for the defense, sometimes for the prosecution, uh, sometimes for the plaintiff, sometimes for uh, for the defendant. I look at the totality of the evidence and put it together, kind of like a puzzle. This isn't about emotion. We evaluate the evidence, we conduct experiments, we reduce it to a visual presentation, and then we try to demonstrate that for the benefit of the jury. If you hire me, you get what you get, and I'm going to do my best to, to demonstrate what I think the truth is. Ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what we do.
8: 48 hours. The Evidence Room will be right back.
5: Well, two months ago, I moved to uh, Los Angeles, California to open up a new office. Just settling in, you know, I get the phone call on this domestic homicide case, of course, back in my hometown. So, you know, yesterday I jumped on an airplane, and now I'm back in Cleveland. I lived in Cleveland all my life, born and raised here.
7: Scott Roder has come home to work a murder case.
5: We've got an interesting case. A young lady is being accused of murder. Uh, she shot and killed her husband, apparently over some sort of a domestic dispute.
7: <laughs> Cleveland defense attorney Ian Friedman has hired Scott and his company to help convince a jury that his client had only one choice, kill or be killed.
6: Thanks for coming on board. Oh, sure. My pleasure. Scott
7: Roder is not a lawyer, not a detective, and not a forensic scientist. His specialty, using evidence to create visual presentations of a crime. Who's the defendant in this case?
5: Uh, the defendant in this case is Colleen McKernan, 20 years old, white female, married to Rob McKernan. The victim? The victim, yes.
6: Uh, Colleen has been charged with uh, one of murder. Mm-hmm. All right, this happened on New Year's Eve. In the minutes just before, you know, the ball would drop.
7: New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2014. Colleen and Robert McKernan went out to celebrate with friends, but wound up at each other's throats. Back at home, their night ended with this
0: call. 911, you need medical? Listen to me.
4: I'm really drunk and I've, my husband put his hands on me. Again. Where are you? I, I mean, my, my, my God. my God. Where are you?
6: Rob was found lying face up uh, with 10 shots, 9mm uh, casings uh, surrounding the body. All 10 shots hit. Uh, we've got uh, 8 to the trunk, 2 to the head. Uh, I, there's not going to be any dispute as to who the shooter was. Right. There's not going to be any dispute to what the weapon was. Right
5: got an interesting situation here with regard to was it self-defense or was it murder? That's, I mean, that's the big question of the day, right? Are there any witnesses, neighbors, you know, through open windows or heard yelling or anything like that at the time, at the location of the actual shooting?
6: So the only thing that we have, there was no one else in the house. Uh, no one saw any fighting, no screaming inside the house. And that's why I'm pretty comfortable saying to you again, There were really only two parties who could have stated what was going on uh, inside the house at the time. And now, only Colleen McKernan is left to tell that story. The state's going to say, ladies and gentlemen, uh, she committed murder. And we're going to say that uh, she reasonably feared for her life. uh, And as a result, she did what she needed to do. There is a history that we will be bringing forward at trial of physical and uh, mental abuse uh, at the hands of Rob. That night, uh, he was physically assaulting her. She felt that she had to leave the house, and he was not going to allow that to happen. So she went and got the firearm for the sole purpose of leaving.
3: I believe that Colleen McKernan is a cold-blooded murderer. And uh, justice needs to be served for Rob.
7: Jennifer Dave, lead prosecutor for the state of Ohio, disputes Colleen's claim of abuse. Dave suggests that her true motive was money. Weeks before the shooting, Rob's life insurance policy was changed,
3: making Colleen the sole beneficiary. She was going to get 100%, which means that, you know, had he died, she would get $200,000. She saw her opportunity on December 31st at the end of that tumultuous night. We believe that the evidence showed that she shot him when he was trying to leave. Uh, He had his coat on, his shoes on.
6: The jury, they're gonna hear the state say, murder, murder, murder. And I need them to see that she had no choice that evening. If she were to protect herself, she had no choice but to do what she did.
7: Which is where Scott's skills come into play. Ian basically asks you to recreate what happened that night. Yes. He and his team will build a visual model of the defense's theory of the crime for the jury.
6: I think it would be invaluable if we could show them, okay, using technology today. If we can show them what happened uh, that night in the house. Absolutely. It's very simple, and it's uh, you know a situation that I believe people will understand. Mm, okay. You know, once we're done showing them. What happened they'll see that you could have put anyone in her shoes that evening and any of those people uh, would have felt that in order for them to leave that house safely they would have had to have done what she did it's sad but that was the choice he made that night okay right
5: well that was interesting Um, I think they definitely had their case strategy laid out well so I think the next step here is going to be to collect my staff up, go over all of the evidence, and hand out the assignments and really start the reconstructive process.
10: Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time.
7: Since starting The Evidence Room in 2002,
5: Scott Roder has worked on hundreds of cases. We work all across the country and sometimes across the world.
7: How do you measure success?
5: Well, I think, you know, success is, it's not about money or win-loss ratio. We're trying to put forth Um, you know, our process and our methodology hopefully to find justice. Which is what they were hired to do in 2014 for
7: probably their most notorious client, South African superstar the Blade Runner, Oscar Pistorius. The
2: stunning murder case against the Blade Runner. He was charged
7: Thursday with murdering his girlfriend. Historius was tried for shooting Reva Steenkamp in his home, claiming he thought she was an intruder.
11: It's a case that's riveted the world. The Blade Runner, the fastest man on no legs, charged with killing his girlfriend. You fired at Reva.
0: I did not fire at Reva. You referred to this incident or this occurrence as an accident. Is that correct? That's correct.
7: Rotors team was brought in by the defense to illustrate what Pistorius says happened that
5: night. Oscar, in his story, he said that uh, he woke up in the middle of the night and heard a sound in the bathroom.
0: It was at this point that I heard a window open in the bathroom. What did you think at the time, Mr. Pistorius? My lady, that's the moment that everything changed.
5: It was just this unfortunate circumstance where as he approached his girlfriend, who was hidden in the toilet, inside of the bathroom, and he was screaming for her to call the police thinking that she was in the other room, and unfortunately, he shot his girlfriend, Riva and accidentally killed her.
11: I was crying out for Riva. I was screaming, and I sat over Riva," and I cried.
7: Though never shown in court, this animation helped the Pistorius defense team develop its strategy.
10: In this video, the defense had Oscar reenact his movements as part of their research. Pistorius, in another house, demonstrated what that night was like without his prosthetic legs as he made his way to the bathroom.
5: And I felt that it was a very honest rendition of the story and that he was not guilty of murder.
7: But Pistorius was found guilty, not of murder, but of culpable homicide.
10: in layman's terms, manslaughter. According to the judge, Oscar Pistorius did not intentionally kill Riva Steenkamp, but acted negligently in firing four shots through his bathroom door. Pistorius was
7: sentenced to five years in prison, but later his conviction was changed to murder and his sentence doubled.
5: Uh, Today we're gonna be discussing a new case.
7: 48 Hours hired Scott Roder as a CBS News consultant to give us a rare inside look at what it takes to build a defense case.
5: It's a domestic homicide. Uh, we're going to be defending uh, a woman by the name of Colleen McKernan. Tell me about the team. Who's on the team? Uh, Amy Metzger. Uh, she is my logistics coordinator. Uh, Patrick Mooney, my biomedical illustrator. Marcus Sedotti, criminal defense attorney.
11: She was a military
5: police officer. She was, yeah. I think that's pretty interesting.
11: Um, 15 months in Turkey, deployed to Afghanistan. So she has four years, in the, four years of active duty in the Air Force.
7: In the fall of 2013, 25-year-old Colleen and 28-year-old Rob, both living in the small town of Massillon, Ohio, were introduced by a mutual friend. Not quite seven months later,
5: they were married. And they had only been married for less than a year at the time that this happened. This is
7: not your usual wedding photo, the bride posing with guns. At the time of the shooting, she worked in a bank, and he worked as an oil driller.
5: Now the husband also has military experience, military training.
7: And it turns out, he also had a history of domestic abuse as well.
5: These documents that are sitting out here are the prior history of abuse against other women. I believe that there's uh, indications in the record that Rob had um, multiple restraining orders against him from prior girlfriends and prior relationships.
7: Also in the record, this 2013 911 call from one of Rob's former girlfriends. Fast one,
12: please. Hi, I need to speak with a police officer about filing a police report for someone trying to kill me. And this person's name? Robert McKernan.
9: Ex-girlfriend. Ex-girlfriend. Um, she said pretty much immediately he started becoming extremely controlling. Um, she said that, that that was her first red flag. And then um, the domestic violence was shortly thereafter.
5: Does she state that he ever struck her?
9: Yes. And
7: Colleen had called 911 before about Rob.
5: She did, yes.
4: Master, Yes, ma'am. This is Colleen McKernan. I
9: called you earlier. You left me a voicemail. Right. You called and you said that you did not want your husband coming back there, but you hung up on me twice. What's going on? Okay. Hey, are you hurt in any way?
4: No, I'm not hurt. No, you put his hands on me, but he did not leave a mark.
7: But is there enough evidence to show that Colleen was abused by Rob? Prosecutor Jennifer Dave says no. There was no photos, no police reports. The state's position is Colleen used Rob's history as a cover for
3: murder. I know there are true women out there that are battered. She's not one of them.
5: I'll tell you right now, I hope Colleen's story vets out because if it doesn't, we're going be able to find we're going to be able to tell pretty quickly.
4: Marie
6: McKernan. McKernan?
3: Is that why right you
4: say
3: that? M-C-K-E-R-M-A-N-M-K-R. Okay, Colleen. Have a seat right there. I'll get them cuffs off as soon as I can.
7: Colleen McKernan spent the first hours of 2015 in the custody of the Massillon Police Department. Her husband, Robert McKernan, never saw a single second of the new year. What's Colleen's demeanor when she's down at the police department?
5: Uh, Well, I mean, she would be excited, uh, upset, crying, uh, (laughs) devastated. (laughs) And then I believe she kind of just kind of calmed down and um, she stopped crying uh, and she just... I think was probably in a state of shock.
3: You know, a lot of people in trauma, you know, are just, you know, in shock and just horrified. State prosecutor Jennifer Dave has a different opinion. Can
4: I use the restroom?
6: One second.
3: She's sitting there and you can see her literally after the detective leaves the room. She picks up those papers to see what's on them and then she puts them back and then makes sure she turns them to make sure they're neat. You know, so this, is, this was cold and calculated. She knew exactly what she was doing. This picture was taken. What are we looking at?
5: Well, this is uh, a picture of Colleen uh, taken uh, at the police department right after she had surrendered to law enforcement. And you can clearly see that her entire face is uh, covered in blood. And the blood came from... The blood on Colleen's face is as a result of her giving CPR to Rob after she shot him.
11: You're being charged.
13: You understand you have to be charged, okay? There's a proper cause there. Doesn't mean you're convicted of anything, okay? There's probably more to the story. We don't know. We're not here
5: to judge you, okay? And when police arrived, what did she tell them? Um, she told uh, law enforcement that she wasn't going to let him do it to her again. He was going to hurt me.
4: And I couldn't. That was the last time he was going to hurt me. I'm going to see happened again. I told him to
5: And um, I think that's when, in her mind, uh, she was thinking that the situation was self-defense. I
3: told him.
4: I said, next time he touches me, I'm going to kill him. I didn't really want him to die, though.
5: You know, she claimed at that time, you know, hey, I was just defending myself.
7: Continuing their work, the evidence room team focuses on Colleen's state of mind.
11: I hear that she's talking about all the fear that she had. I don't see a very serious physical interaction prior to the shooting.
5: He he was pulling her hair. Exactly. He was possibly on drugs. Okay. He's got a long history of violence against women that's documented over years and years and years. Fair. That's
11: in her mind, so go fair. On. Fair enough. In essence, she's got to say, "I can't leave." You know, the, there's going to be imminency to serious physical harm. So I had to rely on my training, and then I shot him.
9: I think that if I'm if I'm holding a gun and there's a, a larger male coming towards me. In a, in a threatening manner, I I would shoot for sure. I hear often from other females, from you know my friends, that why not just sh- why not just shoot him in the leg? Why wouldn't you shoot them in the leg? Because she's she's trained to shoot to kill. If I'm shooting someone, I'm gonna shoot to kill them.
5: Right. Was it self-defense or was it murder? That's I mean that's the big question of the day, right? But all of this other information is okay. How close were they? How far were they? You know, is there evidence to demonstrate that he was attacking her? This is um, an autopsy photograph of Robert. Um, why don't you guys go ahead and take a peek at that? Now he had um, had two shots to the face, uh, one through the right eye and one into the mouth. Um, go ahead, pass that picture around. You guys see anything interesting on that picture that might help us out? Is that stippling? Yep. That's a close range shot. shot. Explain what stippling is. Well, stippling is uh, when you shoot a gun, uh, the bullet is uh, uh, propelled out with gunpowder. And as that bullet travels, the gunpowder travels with it. And for a short period of time, that gunpowder is hot and can burn, make burn marks. And that's indicative of the muzzle of the gun being very close to the target.
7: Meaning, Colleen shot Robert
5: at close range. How close? Well, we need to conduct an experiment to determine exactly how close it was. In the next couple of days, let's get this exact gun, let's get this exact ammunition, and uh, we can go to the firing range and set up a a test so that we can try to duplicate that stippling pattern.
7: But that's not the only test they'll have to do.
5: She does not have a memory of the shooting itself. Realize that she emptied
11: her gun of all 10 shots. She estimated the shooting took no more than about three seconds.
7: In your mind, when you learn that Colleen says that she fired these 10 shots in about three seconds,
5: what are you thinking? It's pretty fast. I'm not sure how fast I could discharge... 10 rounds. Pat, you're a pretty experienced firearm handler. How fast can you get off 10 shots with this weapon?
11: I want to say within 15 seconds. I, I think she states three seconds, you're not going to fire 10 rounds in three seconds.
5: Oh, I disagree with you. I, I think you can fire 10 rounds. I mean, this is semi-automatic. Semi-automatic. Yeah, in millimeter. Three seconds, one, two, three. I don't think you're letting off 10 rounds in three seconds. All right, well, we'll test
7: it. But perhaps the most critical question in this case is this. In what order did Colleen
5: fire those 10 shots? Where was Rob standing when he received the first and last shot? What shots were first? What shots were last? Can we determine a sequence?
7: Prosecutor Jennifer Dave
3: contends Colleen first shot Rob in the back. He's getting ready to leave. She shot him in the back first, first in the buttocks, then as he's turning, he, she, uh, he was shot in the, on the back three times, and then as he's turning around, twice in the, on the arm, and then twice as he's going down in the front chest, and then walks up to him and shoots him in the mouth twice, basically telling him that he can't speak anymore.
7: But Colleen says
5: those two shots were
7: first. There's
5: a gunshot wound to the upper right lip. Gunshot wound number two. Entrance wound of the left upper lip. Below the vertex of the head. The bullet traveled from front to back, upward and slightly left. That's gonna be a key piece of evidence there.
7: You don't know whether the shots to the face were the first shots fired, the last shots fired,
5: We don't know that yet.
7: And does that make a difference?
5: It makes a big difference. Why? If the shots to the face were last, then this is murder. The only way that this is self-defense is if the shots to the face were first.
3: That's a key point.
5: Very key. So there's a lot that we're going to need to do to uh, investigate Colleen's story.
7: To fill in those blanks, Scott is planning to go straight to the source.
5: We're going to have an opportunity tomorrow, I believe, to actually meet with Colleen herself and walk through um, the exact sequence of events. You know, we're going to basically take the same strategy that we did in the in the Oscar case. You know, we're going to walk her through the scenario and. Um, You know, have her step-by-step show us how she was positioned, where he was, you know, how this whole thing evolved.
7: What are you expecting from this meeting with Colleen?
5: Hopefully the truth.
8: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
7: It's the evidence room team's job to ask questions and find answers. But in this case, there's absolutely no question that on New Year's Eve 2014, Colleen McKernan shot her husband Rob. What's still unclear is why. Was it self-defense or cold-blooded murder? To answer that question, Scott Roeder turns to the one person who can take him back to the scene of the crime.
5: Well, we're waiting for Colleen to arrive um, for a uh, one on one interview.
7: Under house arrest and awaiting trial, Colleen McKernan arrives for a meeting with her attorney, Ann Scott.
5: You know, what I hope to accomplish today with Colleen is to really break down that, you know, three seconds in time uh, from the time that she, uh, you know, felt in fear for her life. Uh, to the time that she discharged a weapon. I want to jog her recollection uh, to see if there's any actionable data that I can test from her statements. And uh, I want to get her to interact with me and demonstrate with me and to me what happened. You know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit nervous. Colleen, nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you too. Can I have a seat. So, you know, Colleen, as you know, you know, my job here is to work with you to prepare uh, a forensic animation uh, to share with the jury, uh, you know, your version of the events as you recall them. So I need you to be as specific with me as to your recollection uh, as much as possible. And hopefully that'll be a powerful tool, you know, for the jury to really understand what happened, you know, that night. Are you surprised by the woman who shows up? Uh, I am a little bit surprised. Um, she was very cordial. She was, um, you know, very conversational. She, she seemed like a very confident woman. But I didn't want to let that affect the investigation. So now, uh, at some point in the evening, you know, it's New Year's Eve. Uh, you, um, probably went out to celebrate New Year's Eve with some friends, Right.
4: Um, well, Rob and I left the house and went to a bar um, alone, just the two of us. Okay. And um, we played pool there, and um, we had a, we we did drink a little bit, um, and then we went from that bar to uh, his friend's house.
7: Colleen and Rob got to their friend, Brittany Martin's New Year's Eve party around nine o'clock. They stayed for about an hour, then headed to this nearby bar with two friends. After a couple of rounds of drinks, they returned to the party.
4: So they all went to the bar. They were gone maybe 20 minutes. They were back before
7: 10.30. In this police interview, Brittany Martin describes the scene she witnessed in her backyard that night.
4: So we got to the back door. Um, she was screaming in, in Rob's face and I said, hey, There's an infant in that house next door. Her bedroom's on our side of the house. You guys can't be out here screaming like this. So either she's got to stop or you guys have to go. And Rob said, I'll just go, we'll just go. So they came up, he um, walked into the door first and he looked at Zach and he's like, not a big deal. She's drunk, I'll just take her home. That's what it is. And then she came up behind him and she turned around as she came through the front door and looked at us all and said, remember, this wasn't my fault.
5: At that party, Colleen had accused Rob of uh, doing some sort of drugs out on the back patio. It caused a big fight, but ultimately uh, that fight led them to leave the party and go back to their home.
7: According to the coroner's report, there were no drugs found in Rob's system, but he was legally
5: drunk. There was an altercation in the car. So he's floor. driving fast and is he drunk at this point in time? Absolutely. What do
7: you learn from about their ride home?
5: The only person that can tell us the story about the ride home is Colleen, and what Colleen says is that Rob was extremely abusive and threatening to her.
4: And he opened my door, and he
5: unbuckled me, and he ripped me out. So he you unbuckles your seatbelt, and how does he grab you?
4: When he grabbed me, it was he put his arm around me. Hang on, I'm sorry. Like this.
5: And Colleen was a, did a very effective job on you know kind of relaying to me how Rob grabbed her out of the car, how her feet were dangling as she was, you know, being pulled into the house.
4: His his hand was over my mouth so I couldn't breathe, Okay. and I couldn't speak, and he carried me. I could touch the ground somewhat, and I tried kicking him, but I, I wasn't able to breathe or speak at all, and he took me all the way up to the house like that.
7: By the time they made it inside, it was about 11 p.m., and the night quickly went from bad to much worse.
5: They're in the hallway, which is right at the top of the stairs, that he grabs her by the back of her neck and pushes her down the hallway in toward the bedroom.
4: He's telling me to go to the f'n bedroom, and he's shoving me down the hallway, and I'm telling him to stop because he's hurting me.
7: Now, alone in her bedroom, Colleen says that she tried to call police for help, but caught Rob's attention
4: instead.
5: According to Colleen's story, uh, he grabs the phone, he shakes her violently.
4: And he, like, sh- Screamed like an animal in my face and shook the crap out of me.
5: With what? What did he say?
4: He didn't. He just screamed. He like roared like an animal. And when he's leaving, he's like, "I'll give you a reason to call
5: the cops, you bitch."
4: And he left.
5: At that particular point, um, she collects her weapon, which was casually laying out in the bedroom. Um,
4: I was terrified, and right. I didn't know what his threats would entail, but I thought that my life was in danger and um, the gun is right next to me.
7: Colleen says she kept a loaded gun in the open on the windowsill near her bed.
5: And then she grabs, collects her gun, meets him in the hallway and says, get out of my way, I'm leaving. You're not doing this again.
4: And I stepped forward out of the light of the doorway okay. to my bedroom and he was there. Yeah. Is Rob
7: in between her and the exit?
5: That's correct. Colleen leaves the bedroom, she's in the hallway, just past the, the doorway.
4: And I told him I was leaving. He took a step towards me. And and I raised the gun. And I, I said I said to back up. Okay. I need you to back up. And he said, You're not leaving and
5: came towards me. She said that Rob came toward her, took a big step for, forward toward her with his arms out, almost as if to either grab the gun or grab her. So he was you thought he was coming to grab the gun. Yeah. Okay. So he came at you to grab the gun, and when did you start firing?
4: It immediately. A
7: former Air Force security officer, Colleen was well trained in using a firearm under stress and says that training saved her life.
4: I mean, they always say that when you're put in a stressful situation, you always revert back to training. Set her mask. So it's, it's two shots, uh, two, sh- two shots to the heart, one shot to the head.
7: But Colleen didn't fire three shots, she fired ten. All hitting her husband this is
4: where he came forward okay and um and when I was firing he ended up with his feet ending here and I was standing there there were some shots to the back
5: yes alarm bell for you absolutely yeah that's a big indicator now you know I do a lot of police-involved shooting cases and one of the big no-no's in police-involved shooting cases is shoot somebody in the back because that means they're going away. They're moving away from you. And if somebody's moving away from you, they're no longer a threat. Uh, so that is concerning to me. But in this situation, there's other gunshot wounds that aren't in the back. So. We're going to have to work that out. You must have had a million questions going through your mind hearing this story. Well, I did, you know, focused in primarily on the physical and the forensic evidence. You know, I just want to give you my assurances that, you know, we're going to do the best job that we can uh, to, um, you know, accurately, you know, represent uh, what happened that night. Okay, thank okay. you. Okay.
4: And it was nice to meet you, too.
5: Nice to meet you, Callie.
4: Um,
7: walking away from this meeting with Colleen. What are you thinking?
5: There was uh, an opportunity for her here to either confirm my suspicions uh, or really, you know, turn everything on its head. But her demonstration on how those first shots took place makes sense, at least at this time. You know after meeting colleen today and you know getting her side of the story you know i really felt the fear that she was going through um you know a lot of what she told me uh, almost everything she told me you know seems to just match up you know we'll see how it plays out with the physical evidence like i said it's early Um, You know, we're just collecting data at this point. You know, we'll just have to take it step by step.
7: But before Scott can do that, he'll have to turn his attention to a new client and a new case. In three, two, one.
8: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
9: Every day is a great day when you're not worrying about your appliances and home systems. And that's what you get with an American Home Shield warranty. With American Home Shield, you can protect your home and wallet from unexpected breakdowns, like leaky faucets or faulty water heaters or wonky thermostats. Now that's something to celebrate. When it comes to protecting your appliances and home systems, don't worry, be warranty. For 20% off plans, go to ahs.com slash Wondery. For more details... See AHS.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. With the Evidence Room team beginning its
7: work on the McKernan case in Ohio, Scott Roder heads back home to California. Not for a break, but to take on a new challenge. Emmanuel Bracy versus the city of Los Angeles. How'd you first hear about the Bracey case?
5: I received a phone call from Brian Dunn, who's the managing partner of the Cochran law firm in Los Angeles, California. As in Johnny Cochran? That's right, one of my very first clients.
7: Founder of the Cochran firm, Johnny Cochran, who died in 2005, is probably best remembered for his defense of O.J. Simpson.
11: Remember these words. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit.
5: He's an incredibly talented lawyer, incredibly passionate lawyer when it comes to uh, prosecuting on a civil arena, police-involved shooting cases, and other cases regarding civil rights uh, here in the Los Angeles community. And this case is just that a civil suit
7: against the city of Los Angeles brought by 22-year-old Emmanuel Bracy who was left partially incapacitated after being shot by four LA Police Department detectives so bracy's suing lapd that's correct
2: it's a miracle that we're sitting here today fighting a case for uh, Emmanuel Bracy and not his uh, family members you don't get shot like this and survive
7: miracle maybe but Emmanuel Bracey is anything but a saint. He's a suspect in a string of armed robberies. So not exactly
5: a good guy. Not exactly somebody you'd invite over for Thanksgiving dinner, but he still has rights. And that's what this case is about.
2: If you talk to someone on the street about it, they're gonna say, why would you possibly take the case for this guy? He is a criminal, uh, he is a menace to society, but he has a right to be free from excessive force from police officers.
7: On the morning of June 24th, 2010, Bracey was under surveillance by an LAPD Special Robbery Investigations Unit when he was seen leaving a check-and-go location,
5: which had just been robbed at gunpoint. And then after he gets the money and he leaves, getting a nominal amount, 800 bucks or something like that, and he drives away. And they wait until he gets into an area that they consider safe enough to pull a VCT maneuver. VCT. Correct. Vehicle Containment Technique. And what happens is, Emmanuel Bracey is, uh, pulls right, he's right here on the side of the road, and one of the officers pulls in front, stops, one of the officers pulls behind, stops, bumpers touching, and then the third officer comes in at an angle. This is where both parties disagree what happened next.
7: Three of the four detectives say they saw Bracey with a gun, and they opened fire.
5: He is injured very severely, but he survives. And he was able to kind of fall out of the car under his own power with his hands up, where they arrested him. Uh, And then that's when they started searching the vehicle.
7: Bracey was taken to a nearby hospital with a shattered shoulder and left arm, broken rib, collapsed lung, broken jaw, and multiple fractured vertebrae.
2: One of the detectives said there was something like 23 holes uh, in his shirt, in the back of his shirt.
7: Bracey, confined to a wheelchair from his injuries, pled guilty to two counts of armed robbery and was given a sentence of 25 years to life in prison. But that hasn't stopped him from seeking what he sees as justice.
2: Why is he in a wheelchair for the rest of his life? The attorney for the city is going to say, no, this is because of the decisions that Bracey made. This is because of the things that he did. It was his decision uh, to rob that store, and if he had not robbed that store, he would not be there. We're going to basically say, no. Yes, he would have been in jail. Yes, he would have spent several decades in prison. Uh, But why is it that he has the injuries that he has? It's not because of that. It's because of the actions of these detectives.
7: But the detectives were responding to a dangerous situation, attempting to apprehend a suspect in an armed robbery. They say they gave the command to show his hands, but he did not comply. It was at this point, according to the detective's statements, three of the four detectives saw Bracy with a gun. And all of them opened fire, leaving both Bracy and the car heavily damaged. But when they searched the car, there was no gun in plain sight. Instead, they found a gun wrapped in cloth hidden inside an air conditioning vent in the dashboard. And though the inside of the car was covered in glass and blood, the gun was in remarkable condition.
5: Right here is the air conditioning vent. Inside this air conditioning vent is Bracy's gun. Bracey was sitting right here. Uh, we can see all the glass and debris all over the place. What can you see about this gun? I mean It looks clean. In fact, it is clean. It was taken to the police forensics laboratory, and it was negative for blood, negative for dust, negative for glass, for anything.
2: There's not a drop of blood on this weapon. There's not a speck of glass on this weapon. And you know, for him to have had a gun in his hand, used the gun in a threatening position, pointed it over his shoulder the way that they're saying that he pointed it over his shoulder. Right. I mean, you would expect to at least see some blood, right. you know, on the cloth, on the gun, around the cloth, around the gun. Well, we
7: got nothing. And this is the foundation of the lawsuit. If Bracey wasn't holding a gun, then according to his lawyer, Brian Dunn, the detectives had no cause to shoot... And that's what Scott in the evidence room has been hired by the
5: Cochrane firm to prove. We're out to prove that the gun was not in Emmanuel Bracey's hand, but it was, in fact, in that air conditioning vent all along. The whole time? The whole time.
7: So you're going to recreate this entire scene? That's correct. With real cars? And Absolutely. Real bullets?
5: Yes. We have the ability to conduct this experiment uh, in real time, to scale, under a controlled environment, and I think that would be a tremendously compelling demonstration for the benefit of the court members.
1: Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret?
5: I need a shot of the side of the car. We should mark out the cars, though. Yeah, right, right here, the, this is where the... Yep. This driver is the one that puts four through his windshield, through that
3: windshield. To
7: prove a theory, you have to test that theory. And the evidence room team has set up shop here at this junkyard in the high desert just outside of Los Angeles to do
5: just that. So what are you trying to prove with this test? So we are simply going to find out, was the gun in his hand? or was the gun in the air-conditioning vent?
7: They chose this remote location with good reason. Scott will be working with loaded weapons and live ammunition.
5: We're going to shoot this car in the same type of way, with the same guns and the same ammunition, and we're going to pulverize that glass. What we've done here is uh, tried to set up the scene as close as possible. Uh, We've brought in an exemplar vehicle of the Lexus that Mr. Bracey was driving.
7: So here's the key point of this case. When a windshield breaks, it basically turns to dust.
5: When it's hit so many times by powerful rounds. Absolutely. And you can see it here. Absolutely. On
7: On the middle console here, all over the seats, all of the dust.
5: Yes. Let's go straight to X marks the spot where they discharge their weapons. That's what we need. Right here. All right. We've mapped out the positions of the three vehicles that were uh, positioned um, along the side of the road.
7: And most important, they map out the position of each of the four LAPD officers who opened fire on Bracey.
5: Guzman's the shooter behind the window. So we've got Guzman from here. 16 feet. Perfect, yeah. So this would be a door. He's hitting somewhere. He's probably lined right up. Around, with- right around here. I think yellow would be good to mark out just the shape outline of the car. We've also plotted out areas of the car where the, the gunshots uh, penetrated the vehicle. And tomorrow we plan to uh, conduct an experiment. And, you know, if the experiment is favorable to Mr. Bracy, well, that's great. If it's not favorable to Mr. Bracey, well, there's nothing I can do about that. All we can do is our job.
7: Dawn in the desert.
5: All right, guys, today's the day.
7: And days of research and preparation will end in a barrage of bullets.
5: So the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to be placing this replica handgun in the air conditioning vent, which is similar to uh, the uh, placement of the Bracy gun. And we're going to be closing this up. So we'll place this gun right here. Now we've got a third replica gun. We'll place this here on the uh, uh, center console. Scott
7: wants to test Bracey's story that the gun was in the air conditioning vent when police opened fire.
5: We're going to do the four shots with Detective Guzman. Uh, The first uh, part of the shooting experimentation today is going to be uh, replicating the four shots discharged by uh, Detective Guzman while sitting behind the wheel of his car through his windshield. All right, we're loaded. In three, two, one.
7: Over the next several hours, Scott and his team fired round after round.
5: This next shot is uh, Detective Walters.
7: Attempting to recreate every shot fired at Bracey
11: by the police. This is Detective Worrell. One shot. Our distance here is about 24 feet.
7: With the last shot fired, it's time to check the results. Yeah,
5: right there, some buckshot right there. But I think this is the shot right here. Came right through his head. That is exactly the shot. Look at all the glass debris that's coming out this way. All right, let's see what we got on the inside. These are the guns
7: that were out in the car, that were not in the AC vent?
5: That's correct. You can still see quite clearly, this gun is covered in debris. This gun we placed in the hand of our mannequin. I mean, it's covered in dust and pulverized glass.
7: And the gun, hidden in the same location that Bracy's gun was found? Does the gun have any dust on
5: it? No, it doesn't have any dust on it at all. No dust, no blood. No debris of any kind. So that says to you? Emmanuel Bracy was, in fact, not holding that gun when the officers discharged their weapons.
7: There's just no way he had a gun in his hand.
5: It's impossible.
7: Based on that conclusion, Scott and his team prepared this presentation with their results. At trial, a lawyer for the city of Los Angeles insisted the three officers did see Bracy with a gun in his hand. And whether he was pointing it at the police or attempting to hide it in the vent, his hand came up with a gun in it, and the detectives had a reasonable perception of imminent threat. The lawyers argued that this was the critical point in the case. The detectives believed their lives were in danger and responded to that threat. Bracy didn't necessarily have to be found TO BE HOLDING A GUN, IT'S JUST THAT THE POLICE OFFICERS HAVE TO THINK THAT HE'S HOLDING A GUN. ISN'T THAT RIGHT? THEY JUST HAVE TO HAVE A REASONABLE FEAR?
5: THAT'S TRUE. THE OFFICERS NEED TO ESTABLISH THAT THEY REASONABLY FELT IN FEAR FOR THEIR LIFE.
7: IN THE END, AFTER ALL THAT TIME AND ALL THAT WORK, THE JURY NEVER SAW SCOTT'S PRESENTATION. THE REASON? The state's forensic expert just happened to be on vacation in China and was not able to testify. And after some legal wrangling, neither was Scott.
5: Explain that. Well, I was a rebuttal expert on this case. So that means I was meant to rebut the testimony of one of their experts. So they they decided not to call their expert witness to testify.
7: Which means this evidence doesn't get introduced. That's correct. After nine days of court testimony, the jury took just four hours to return a judgment in favor of the LAPD.
5: According to the law, if an officer has a reasonable expectation of serious bodily injury or potential imminent death, they are justified in using deadly force.
7: The perception of threat is also at the center of Colleen McKernan's defense, and Scott and his team will tackle that next.
12: With the Bracy case behind them,
7: the evidence room team gets down to work on the upcoming McKernan murder trial. Their mission? To see if the evidence matches Colleen's story. First, a simple test to answer a simple question.
5: How could she have fired all of those 10 rounds so quickly? Well, that's what we endeavored to find out. So as soon as you fire, I as hit As soon start. as I start firing, and then as soon as you hear it stop... Hit stop. Got it. And we'll get it as close as we can get it. All right, loading. 2.61 seconds. That's under three. That's under three. Should we try it again? Let's try it again. Let's. This time I think we should have uh, Patrick try it. Pat, you want to come over here? Back when we were having our uh, round table, Patrick and I kind of disagreed pretty uh, uh, pretty much about how fast you could shoot those shots he doesn't believe that we could fire 10 shots in under three seconds so let's not share him our results just yet Pat I just did my test All right so why don't you go ahead and, uh, and load up 2.2 2. so yeah it's two so. seconds. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that right there proves, you know, and I'm not a professional firearms handler. Um, And she is. So that told you she could have fired it that quickly. Absolutely. Next up. All right, so now four feet. Four feet.
7: A test to try to determine just how close Colleen was to Rob when she shot him. She says he was close and coming at her.
5: Jeez. How close were they? That was a very important question to answer.
7: So Scott conducts a stippling test.
5: Uh, It's getting pretty close. I mean, it's between two and three feet so far right now. We needed to get the uh, exact same ammunition. Um, And then we set up these individual targets that are made covered with white cotton. And we shoot that target and we see what kind of a pattern it leaves with regard to the gunshot residue. Oh, there we go. So you can see that pretty well even without the black light. See, so now we're we're getting pretty close. I still don't think we're there, but we're pretty close. Let's look at that picture. See how tight it is right here? Right. Their goal,
7: match the pattern left from powder burns found on Rob McKernan's face, giving them an estimation of Colleen's distance from Rob at the time of the shot.
5: That's the best one yet. Yeah, pattern-wise, it has the most similarities. And I've got a pretty good spread here. Instance this is, is pretty, pretty. This close. is pretty good. I like this one.
7: So, once you found the pattern that matched the pattern on Rob's face, how far away were you?
5: Give or take a few inches, two feet.
7: And Colleen had said she was
5: about two feet away when she discharged a gun. So it matches. I mean, I think the stippling test is done. I think we have an answer on that. And finally... Penetrating into the temporal and occipital lobes of the brain penetrates into the right occupant. All right, so we've got the... Using
7: data from the coroner's report, along with the crime scene photos, the team attempts to make a visual model of the 10 shots Colleen McKernan fired at her husband. You actually poke
5: holes in the mannequin? Yeah, we probe the mannequin with trajectory rods, the autopsy report might read two inches to the left of the center line of the head, six inches down, we have a gunshot wound. Downward trajectory, slightly left or right, and that'll give us a good indication of where the bullet entered, where the what anatomy the bullet traversed, and where, ultimately, the bullet landed. So should we just penetrate right through here? Okay, so if this is 90 degrees, right? Yep. So we want slightly to block. upward. Slightly upward
7: it's slow and tedious work. All right, so let's take a
5: picture of this because I think this is a good one.
7: One of the most difficult parts of Colleen's story to confirm is the order of the shots. Remember, she says her first shots were to Robert's face as he was upright and moving toward her. So we've
5: got four shots on the posterior side, one to the right buttock, one, two, three, to the left lateral flank.
7: The prosecution maintains she shot him in the back first as he was trying to leave and that she shot him in the face last when he was already down on the ground. And so they continue to work.
12: Um, actually, bring your hand to your
11: left. Let's let's take it to his right anterior midline.
7: Hour after hour.
11: One, two, three, four, five, shot
5: six, seven, eight, nine, ten. After shot.
11: Shot five, mid-right chest, 50 and a half inches above the sole of the right foot. Shots six through nine are unaccounted for. What's shot eight? Another entrance to the left back.
7: Eventually, for Scott, the pieces of this jigsaw puzzle begin to come together.
5: After we placed all of the trajectory rods on the mannequin, it became very clear that a lot of what uh, is happening here is starting to make sense.
7: But because Scott is not an expert in bullet wound analysis, he turns to someone who is.
5: Uh, Good morning, Dr. Spitz. How are you today? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. Good.
7: Dr. Daniel Spitz, a board-certified forensic pathologist and chief medical examiner for Macomb County, Michigan. Dr. Spitz was hired by Colleen's lawyer to testify on the medical examiner's report regarding Rob McKernan, and he's been talking with Scott.
13: Obviously, you know, we're dealing with 10 gunshot wounds, and... uh, certainly there's a sequence to those wounds. Determining a sequence is very, very difficult (coughs) when you're simply looking at a decedent's body. Your overall description uh, is is very accurate. Uh, I think what's important is that we don't know exactly which is the first and and the second because we have two wounds involving the face. Could Could it be two is the first wound and number one is the second? Sure
5: you know, from all indications now with your research and your expert opinions and, and the work that we've done up until this point, um, I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's starting to fit together. Um,
13: Colleen has given an account of what, has, of what occurred. Um, then really we need to look at the, at the evidence to see if the account that she gives makes forensic sense or not. And at this point, um, the time frame, the movement of the body, the shots, the number of shots, his final position, and really the, the forensic evidence that's available uh, really does fit with the scenario that she has given. It.
7: For Scott, it seems he has the answers he's been looking for. Now all that's left for the evidence room is to prepare their presentations for court.
5: So th- I think this is his body position as shot number one. Maybe not so stiff and ragged, but can you take him from this position and move him into this position? Or like this a little bit? Yeah, that's, that, I think that's probably the position he was in when she, yeah, when she, shot, when she made that first shot.
7: But one question still remains. Will their work be enough to convince a jury that Colleen McKernan shot her
3: husband in self-defense? The prosecution doesn't think so. When the defense started uh, talking about how the first two shots were in the mouth, that was unbelievable to me.
1: It takes the best to set new standards. The best don't play by the rules. They make their own and do it with confidence and class. And breaking the rules to change the game is something BMW knows all too well. BMW has combined sports car power with high-end luxury. From redesigning the dashboard to hands-free controls, BMW stays at the forefront of automotive technology. Don't play by the rules. Make your own. BMW, the ultimate driving
13: machine. Visceral. Dramatic, uncompromising. The third-generation Range Rover Sport redefines sporting luxury and is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable model yet. Combining assertive on-road performance with signature refinement, Range Rover Sport communicates power and agility. Dynamic by design, it delivers an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure while the purposeful cockpit-like driving position of Range Rover Sport sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. We
6: added in um, the evidence markers, so we have everything from where the gun was At, in its resting location, shelter
7: After months of research and testing.
11: And then also, so I have in uh, resting location of of him...
5: The evidence
7: room team puts the final touches on their presentation for Colleen McKernan's upcoming trial.
5: So can we bring Colleen into the scene now? Okay, so now this position ultimately is our final moment in time. Correct. I think this is perfect. We get together and then start playing out these theories inside of that controlled environment to see if what we've tested, does it all make sense? Let's see shot number two, okay. And that's also perfect, great work, Phil, because now he's starting to cascade down. Now here is ultimately the final conclusion that we came to uh, with regard to this investigation. So here's where she holds out the gun, then he reaches in, and then at the moment of the first discharge, the second one, then we've got our third shot. Now you can see when we get to the fourth shot, he starts blading to his left on the fifth shot. Then we have the shot that goes through his arm, into his armpit, into his chest, and now he's turning, he falls down. So I think that that's all extremely consistent with Colleen's statement. But when the prosecution
7: sees the animation pre-trial, they quickly moved to try to keep it from being
3: shown in court. When we first received it, uh, we looked at a lot of different things, compared them to the coroner's report. They were not consistent. Um, so we, our concerns, we filed motions ahead of time to keep it out because it was inaccurate. Jurors these days like to see that kind of stuff. If they have a video that they can see, they'll think, like, okay, maybe that is how it happened. But it was inaccurate. So will the
7: jury ever see the animation? How important do you think your work is to this case? I think it
5: could be critical.
3: Opening statements will begin today in the trial that will answer the question, self-defense or cold-blooded murder. Colleen McKernan is accused of killing her husband Rob McKernan.
7: On April 19th, 2016, almost 16 months after the New Year's Eve shooting of Rob McKernan, Colleen McKernan's trial for murder begins.
3: Colleen pulled the trigger 10 times, and she hit him 10 times. The evidence will show you that this defendant, Colleen McKernan, committed murder.
6: I think what this evidence is really going to show at its end is saying that some of you may have heard that you never know what someone's dealing with behind closed
5: doors. And that's what this case is all about.
7: So trial begins.
5: Are you prepared to testify? Absolutely. I'm prepared to testify and uh, I'm looking very much uh, to getting on the stand.
7: The state begins its case with testimony about the New Year's Eve party.
4: I could see her out the back door and she was pointing at Rob and she was yelling. I said, she has to either stop screaming, or they had to go. One or the other had to happen, but they couldn't continue this
3: way in the backyard. I got on Facebook not long after they left and saw that a wife had shot and killed her husband, and I just read
7: And testimony from responding personnel.
12: Uh, I went upstairs. I immediately saw the, the victim on the floor. I noticed the, uh, a hole to his lower uh, left side. I noticed a hole in the center of his chest
11: and also what was, what looked to be a half-moon shape cut out of his lip um, from, I'm assuming a bullet to, uh, in his mouth.
2: I noticed that there were numerous teeth that were shattered and there was, some, there was severe damage to the maxilla area, the upper jaw.
7: And then, prosecutors turned to their forensic experts.
6: This particular item is a Glock Model 26 9mm Luger semi-automatic pistol. All 10 fired 9mm Luger cartridge cases were fired
11: in the submitted Glock pistol. His cause of death is classified as a homicide.
7: On the stand, forensic pathologist Dr. Frank Miller is very clear about the number of shots and the damage
11: they did. Which is broken down eight gunshot wounds of trunk, two gunshot wounds of head, Um, And then I note that there's bleeding in the right chest, the left chest, the abdomen, and around the heart, and perforations of brain, heart, lungs, liver, pancreas, aorta, spleen, left kidney.
7: But as to the sequence of shots, he says it's unlikely that determination could be made from the evidence available in this case.
11: It's extremely difficult. That's why my reports always say they're numbered 1 to 10, but there's no regard to how severe they are or what the order or chronological sequence is.
10: Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the state has rested and uh, we are at the stage of the proceedings at which time uh, the defense is choosing to present uh, evidence at this time. The
7: defense team presents its case with testimony from experts in psychology.
11: She knew what he was capable of when he was drunk, when he was mean. And her perception at that time of the risk to her life uh, was different, in my opinion, than a person who had not had a battered woman syndrome.
7: And testimony from forensic expert Dr. Daniel Spitz.
6: What to a reasonable degree of medical and scientific certainty uh, uh, in the realm of forensic pathology were you able to opine in this case?
13: Well, I was able to opine that um, the uh, the injuries occurred over a brief period of time. I was able to uh, indicate that Mr. McKernan was shot while in an upright position and that uh, the sequence that I indicated was certainly a very plausible sequence based on the evidence and that they were in very close proximity within a couple of feet at the time that he sustained the wounds.
7: Scott Roder is standing
5: by, waiting to testify. I've got my ticket bought, my bags are packed, and I am being left in the dark. Nobody's telling me anything. So do you finally get that call? Actually, I don't think it was a call. I think it was a text message from Ian, and he said, Scott, we're not going to use you.
7: Ian Friedman, Colleen's attorney, said the judge so limited the scope of Scott's presentation that Ian decided not to use it. So the jury never sees the animation, and never hears from Scott. And so Colleen is called as the final defense witness.
2: Did you
6: shoot Robert McKernan on December 31st,
4: 2014? Yes, I did shoot.
6: Did you pull that first trigger on the evening of December 31st, 2014?
4: I was defending myself.
7: Without the animation to show the jury, the defense chooses another method of demonstrating what Colleen says happened that night. And
4: he grabbed me, pulled me out of the car, and he hoisted me up and covered my mouth and took me back to the, back to the, the front of the house.
5: Defense attorney Eric Long and Colleen McKernan demonstrate for the jury how her husband restrained her
4: and and he said, You're not going anywhere and he's moving towards me and we're both moving and I'm coming here and I'm like back up back up back up and he's fucking
3: anyone at me and it's when I fired the gun.
7: But prosecutor Dave has a few questions of her own.
3: Isn't it fair to say actually that Rob was getting ready to leave? No, he was not leaving. You were angry, you grabbed the gun and went after him, isn't that true? No, I was trying to leave the house, I was trying to leave. You shot Rob in his buttock area first, isn't that true? No, he was
4: facing me at the top of the stairs when he was coming towards me and I was screaming, back up, back up,
3: back up, and he didn't. And as he's turning, realizing what you were doing, you shot him three more times in the back, isn't that true? No, he was facing me. Then you continue to shoot him as he's turning towards you, correct? No, that's incorrect. And then as he's going down, you shoot him two more times in the chest. Isn't that true? No, no, he was facing me. And then as you walked up to him and saw him laying down on that ground or on that floor, you put two more shots in his mouth. Isn't that true? No, that's not true at all. Nothing further, Your Honor.
7: <laughs> the jury has seen seven days of testimony, as well as clear evidence of the damage left behind on the faces of Rob's parents, Kathy and Dennis McKernan.
13: I'm never ever going to be the same. I'm going to miss my son forever.
5: What has Colleen done to my family is destroyed our family completely.
13: This. Horrific crime has just ripped my soul out.
7: And the faces of Colleen's parents, Gary and Jan
11: Owen. Never thought 28 years ago, when Colleen was basically an infant, that uh, I'd ever be standing here and talking about a situation like this. It's been awful.
3: From the start, it's it's a tragic situation, no matter how it turns out.
7: Now, both families can only wait for the jury's decision.
3: Deliberations are now underway in the Colleen McKernan murder trial. Ten men and two women now responsible for deciding the fate of the 28-year-old.
11: I don't know what to expect. I'm anxious for some closure, especially today. But on the other hand, I'm afraid of today. You're just waiting for the phone to ring the jury's in or the jury, you know, what is going on? We don't know, but we're prepared for whatever decision the jury makes.
7: But no one was prepared to hear that after two days of deliberations.
10: Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you have considered the case for a considerable period of time and uh, I have now uh, received your note um, indicating that you are unable
7: to reach a verdict. The jury's decision was no decision at all.
12: Based upon the jury's inability to reach a decision in this case, uh, I uh, will declare a mistrial. Deadlocked. What'd you think?
5: Well, uh, I think it demonstrated that the prosecutor didn't have good enough uh, evidence.
4: When the verdict came out, I mean, I just cried. I didn't know what was going to happen. It just left me in limbo.
11: It's disappointing, but glass half full. She's not in jail today.
7: But the state intends to try Colleen again.
14: Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery.
1: Whether you're searching for a home to buy or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered.
7: Since the end of her first trial, Colleen McKernan has been home under house arrest, anxiously awaiting the start of her second trial for the murder of her husband, Robert McKernan.
4: So you're saying that if it was this Mm -hmm. and then he turned and
7: and this happened here. here. Now, the night before her trial begins, Colleen is doing what she can to help her new defense team, lawyers Laura Mills and Max Hiltner.
4: So these ones here are moving that
11: way? Yeah, the bullets.
7: With just 10 weeks to prepare their case, Colleen's new legal team has faced many challenges, not the least of which is that neither lawyer has ever tried a
15: murder case before. We have really, really worked hard. We've worked weekends. We've worked nights. We have um, just helped each other as much as we can get ready. So if he's leaning forward like that, though, then the shot sequence is fine.
5: Also here to help is Scott Roder. It was difficult for me to tell visually the stippling pattern related to number mm-hmm. the first shot and the second shot. That first meeting was incredibly productive and it was truly a meeting of the minds. Our theory is the left lip shot is second. Its stippling patterns is contained within the pattern of
6: gunshot
11: room one.
7: This time around, the team is determined to use what they can of
15: Scott's presentation. We have every intention of utilizing the animation this time. When talking to the jurors from the first trial, they indicated that would have been helpful.
5: Visual evidence is the most powerful thing. You have to remember, the jury is going to forget about 75% of everything everybody says.
15: Colleen is the most important part of the trial without question. Then what we build around her is the science. It's very important, that shot sequence, very important to see that animation and so they can visualize what went on.
7: On the morning of August 23rd, 2016, Colleen McKernan finds herself once again in front of a judge and jury and facing a new team of prosecutors, Dennis Barr and Melissa Day. So state
10: of Ohio, you may present your opening statement at this time.
15: The state is confident, ladies and gentlemen, that after you have heard all of the evidence that you will be convinced that this defendant did not act in self-defense, but committed a cold-blooded act of murder.
11: On New Year's Eve 2014, Colleen McKernan was faced with a choice to defend her life or to have her life taken. Once
7: again, the jury hears from a parade of witnesses. And I looked at him and I said, listen,
11: she's either
15: got to shut the F up or she's got to get the F out.
3: There was something posted that a wife had shot and killed her husband.
11: This particular item I can recognize as a Glock Model 26 pistol. There were two gunshot wounds to the mouth. The cause of death is multiple 10 gunshot wounds of head and trunk. The manner of homicide was recommended to the coroner. But this time... Please state your full name for the record.
5: Scott George Roeder.
11: Do you own your own company?
5: Yes, I do.
7: What's the name of that company?
5: Uh, Evidence Room.
7: Scott gets a chance to present some of his work to the jury.
5: Video number one essentially is a combination of uh, transitions uh, between the case file materials that I was given uh, and my CGI model, which is a computer graphic image. Video number three essentially is... um, my review of Dr. Miller's autopsy report. He describes uh, the, you know, the positioning of each of the ten gunshot wounds. I was scanning the jury as I was talking, and I saw a lot of people. You know, okay, they understand, they got it. So we use those measurements to plot out the uh, gunshot wounds on the victim.
15: And then there was cross. Yes. <laughs> First of all, you were not present on December 31st, 2014, correct?
7: No, I was not there. Okay. Prosecutor Day uses her cross-examination to challenge Scott and his work.
15: Now, you had indicated that one of the things that you had reviewed with regards to video three was the autopsy report of Dr.
5: Miller. Yes.
15: Let me ask you this. Are you a forensic pathologist? No. Are you aware that Dr. Miller also testified that he could not provide a specific sequence of shots based on the wound patterns that he found in the medical evidence? Yeah, I'm aware. How sure are you that this is how it
5: happened? Well, I would call this the most probable version of the events based on the evidence.
7: So it's still a version, it's still a theory.
5: Correct. But? A probable version, a probable theory.
15: So you are telling me you are doing additional medical determinations beyond what the coroner themselves It's not medical. It's not medical? No. All right. Thank you. I have no further questions, Your Honor. And
7: once again, Colleen takes the stand to tell her story.
4: And I'm like, I'm leaving. You know, I'm leaving, and I'm trying to walk towards the stairs. And and he's like, you're not going anywhere. And I ended up raising the gun, and he saw it and I started screaming, back up, back up, back up, and he did it. And he did it, so I pulled the trigger.
7: And again, Colleen is crossed by the prosecution.
8: Stand up,
11: please. Uh,
15: Objection.
10: Okay, sustained, Mr. Barr. If you are going to ask the witness to do something, then ask Would her you to demonstrate. Put your
11: arms out like you're shooting a gun, please. Objection. Did he get this close?
8: Overruled.
4: <laughs> he was there. He was, was there. Close. And you're pointing
8: at my chest, right?
4: I don't know. I just pulled the trigger. And he could have
8: went like this, couldn't he? He could have grabbed that gun if he was that close. He
7: was close enough, yes. After six days of testimony.
8: She is not a battered woman, ladies and gentlemen. She is a murderer. The evidence proves it. And I ask you to return that verdict. Thank you.
15: We ask that you return a not guilty verdict to the charge of murder against Colleen McKernan.
7: Both sides rest. And for a second time, the case goes to the jury. So going into deliberations, what are you thinking?
5: I'm thinking we had an acquittal. I felt very good uh, that we had an acquittal. Uh, But things don't always go as you think.
10: Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, with additional time, do you believe that it would be possible for you to reach a unanimous verdict?
5: Deja vu all over again, the same identical deliberation um they deliberate for two days they come back they're deadlocked again again again
10: because you are unable to reach a verdict I will declare this case a mistrial all that work
5: we're right back where we started
10: how frustrating is that
5: it's very frustrating but you know that's the jury system that we have uh, you know, I guess at this point, maybe we get ready for round three. But as it turned out, there would be no round three. Six
7: months after the second mistrial, the state of Ohio had had enough. On March 17, 2017,
0: it has been brought to
10: the court's attention that a resolution uh, of this matter has been reached.
7: Colleen and her family and the McKernan family find themselves back in court one last time.
12: Ms. McKernan, then, as to one count of voluntary manslaughter, a
10: felony of the first degree, how do you plead? Guilty. As to
4: the firearms,
7: and with that one word, more than two years of waiting for justice justice are over.
4: The prosecutor called my lawyers and presented a plea offer. I decided that what was best for me, my family, um, was to take the plea offer. I, I, I can't look at, I can't go up against life in jail one more time and sit through it all over again.
11: I could see there was, how do I put this,
12: justice served to a certain point, all right? It's not the type of justice I wanted to see. We lost our son.
11: Okay. Over a, a vicious act from a lunatic woman. We know that they lost a son, a brother, a dad. Um, we know, we understand that. And I can tell you, I can tell the McKernan family and, and, uh, and everyone that Colleen is sorry that Rob is dead. But she's not sorry for defending herself.
12: Will be the further sentence of the court that you serve a total prison term of seven years. I thought she'd turn around and say how sorry she was for her actions on that night on December 31st, 2014. She did not.
4: In this situation, there's no winner and nobody nobody's coming out on top. And it's not lost on me the pain um, that Rob's family's feeling. And I hope that they're able to find peace and healing um, and move forward and are able to let it all go.
2: Kathleen McKernan is currently serving her sentence at the Ohio Reformatory for Women. She could be released as early as September 2020 by a judge's decision based on her behavior in prison.
0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the 48 Hours podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey.
8: If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's the case, then I've got some good news. We just launched a brand new Strange, Dark, and Mysterious podcast called Mr. Bolland's Medical Mysteries. Go follow Mr. Ballins Medical Mysteries wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're a Prime member, you can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Hi! Listen
2: to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.